You actually attended Neil Gaiman's book reading a long time ago, right? Yeah, it was back in the summer of 2013. And he was just talking about kind of what he was doing at that point. I think he was coming out with his book, Fortunately the Milk, which was like a kid's story mm -hmm. about a dad who went to go get like some milk, but all these crazy things happened in the way of Did it. Did he talk about the Sandman at all? Uh, no, not at that point. But he did talk about like speaking to Stephen Moffat working on like the episode The Doctor's Wife. Mm -hmm. And I think he also talked about the Graveyard Book, which I read back when it came out in 2009. So you're familiar with the Graveyard Book? Yeah. yeah Is it I, similar to what you saw in the show? Uh, no, this was way more world building. I think the Graveyard Book is just one book. The Graveyard Book is one of his greatest achievements. Really? Yeah, like, like it's one of the ones that shows up first on his Wikipedia page. I thought it was just a random like book that he came out with. I know with. it is young adult, but it deals with like murder and like a full adventure. And you remember? I remember the beginning. I remember the like beginning chapter was very like uh, scary because it dealt with someone going into a house with a knife about to like kill a baby, I think, or something like that. And I also saw Coraline in theaters, which I so I didn't read the book, but I did see the movie. So you're pretty familiar with his work. Yeah. Um, dark fantasy, fairy tales, mythology, history, very decipherable flavor, I mm -hmm. think, with stuff that he makes. Um, the most current thing that fans were probably aware of before this series came about was Good Omens, which is on Amazon Prime, just about to come out with its second season. I was, David going, I was going to ask. Michael Sheen. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty popular. It's got an eight on IMDb, and he was actually more involved with the production of that than he was in the production of this. However, he was more involved in the production of this than he was in the production of American Gods, another mm. one of his creations. Now, So this is in the middle. <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember when American Gods came out and the first season, it felt like had more of a story arc than the second or even the third, or maybe it only went to the second season, but it did get super complicated and it felt like they weren't exactly clear what direction they wanted to go. In this, it feels like they have a much more centered storyline that they, they're following. Yeah. And it's based on comics. Did you know that? Oh, it's based on... I thought it was based on, like, a book series. No, it was DC Comic Issues, a series that ran for 75 issues from January 1989 to March of 1996, and then they picked it up again way later on. It's been in production hell for a really long time. It's had different people connected to it, uh, including Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Eric Kripke, <laughs> Roger <Wow>. Avery. <laughs> they had like sample scripts written, some of which Neil Gaiman didn't like, some of which the production studio didn't like. And finally, it came about now, David S. Goyer, the guy who's been the screenwriter for uh, the Blade trilogy and also the Dark Knight trilogy, he teamed up with Neil Gaiman wow. and they kind of came up with a huge casting process that had a lot of people coming in that we'll get into in a minute. But then finally, the show, after a couple of years, has finally come out and we've seen the pilot of it. The pilot's name is Sleep of the Just. It felt like this was a response to Apple's foundation or like really? Amazon foundation? Prime. Yeah, Amazon I don't Prime's see that. Wheel of Time. You didn't get the sense of like world building. Wheel of that Time more thing. so. Brandon Sanderson and Neil Gaiman, I can see that connection a lot more. Foundation was a book, a sci-fi book. So like you could compare this to like a Lord of the Rings type. But yeah. when it comes to the expanse, I just don't see like those two melding as much. You mean Foundation? No, I mean like a sci-fi space show versus a fantasy. I have the expanse here as one of the things that it reminded me of. For real? Yes. Yeah. Most and of this episode did not feel like it took involved anything with space. I'm talking more about just like there being such a obvious detailed like world that they're trying to build. The dream world. Yes. But most of it's on Earth. Yeah, but I think the rest of the series is going to take place in the dream world because that's why the dream world is already almost destroyed. It's been decaying for over a hundred years. The Sandman says he's going to build it up again. It feels kind of like Ragnarok in yeah. the Thor series where like 
that just explodes at a, and then they have to like make something else. Right. So exactly. maybe it's not the dream world that they're going to create, but something different. We're jumping ahead though. When it comes to the actual first episode, you watched it once. Yes. So whatever you came away with is kind of what like the average viewer would walk away from. And I'm just curious what you actually got from it and whether or not you were able to follow all the details that were thrown in. There. Oh, I probably did not catch everything. Do you remember the jack-o'-lantern? Uh, yeah, he shows up for like a couple seconds. That was probably my favorite character. And he actually <laughs> has a, he's voiced by someone, but he hasn't come along yet. Mark yeah, Hamill he, voices him. <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then also you have Charles Dance as well. Charles Dance is, a, is sort of a one-off character. We see his I ultimate thought he was demise gonna, here. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was the main character for like half of this episode. Yeah, so this Magus. episode like kicks off back in the early, early 20th century. Well, 1916, yeah. Yes, and so it's like almost coming out of the Downton Abbey age. <laughs> Uh, or coming into the Downton Abbey age, except if Downton Abbey had the Necronomicon. So, like, you had this guy, this aristocrat named Roderick Burgess, who you've already said was played by Uh, Charles Dance. He likes to be called Magus. Yep, and he's a wealthy man who also has a son named Alex. They live at... He has a son named Alex, and he has a dead son named Randall. Randall. Yes. And he he lives at Fawny Rig Mansion. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wants to... Yeah, he's hoping to bring Randall back, so he's actually able to summon one of the Reaper's family. I found that really cool, how they have Desire, Destiny, Despair. We're probably going to see them in later episodes. Yes, but that is like American Gods, where he kind of makes these fallible godlike creatures that uh have their own pettiness and, yeah like every single one of them is fallible in some way well i want to see what despair is like because i feel like that one's going to be probably the coolest out of all of them but he's captured dream That's he captures name. dream unintentionally he's looking to capture death and bring his son back to life right. in a way it's almost a noble goal because he just feels like he misses uh, not only Randall for the purposes of being a good guy, but also he just feels like he failed him. Yeah, but All also right. by catching Dream, he has made the world kind of turn into chaos, I think. You're getting ahead of it, because right when he catches Dream, he doesn't realize who he's got. He picks up these, like, totems that Dream has on the ground, right. and one of them is, like, a bag of sand, which clearly isn't the Sandman, <laughs> yeah. so he's going to be blowing that into people's faces, and then also this ruby gemstone, yes? Yes, yeah. Which Alex is actually the one who takes, because uh, Roderick is too afraid to stand up and pick up these things yeah. over this like uh, circular prison that they have him in. Mm-hmm. And that's when this mysterious stranger shows up who we've already seen in the show named Corinthian. The Corinthian. Yes. yes. And yeah. he is the villain of this season. I was really glad what they did with his character because I felt like it could easily be a character that they threw in there to be like, we need to have a bad guy for the rest of the series. But whenever he showed up on screen, he actually gave information that was pretty important to the story. He's the one who tells uh, Magus about the people like the Reaper's family, such as Despair and Destiny, all the people that we've already gone through. And it's also so he gives t- an info dump, but in a way that you like. Right, yeah. He's also expanded upon much more than he was in the comics to kind of make him into this first series villain. And we learned that Dream, didn't he like create Corinthian or made him what he is today? Because that's one of the first things that he says when he sees Dream. Yes, in this but episode. we also see that when he was summoned, when Dream was being pulled into Roderick's like uh, fiendish plot mm-hmm. to get his son back that uh, he was in the middle of stopping the Corinthian from going out and Just creating killing people. chaos. Yeah. Yes, being a nightmare. So you should probably have recognized Corinthian. No. Who is Boyd he? Holbrook. He likes playing the villain a lot. 
Like, especially here, though, it seems like he's going to be even more of a villain than he was in Logan, because he wants to, like, take over the world. He's... Well, we see him steal someone's eyes at the end yeah, of the episode. That was, yeah, that and was He's always wearing the sunglasses, and uh, there's... The sunglasses are back, because he also had the sunglasses in Logan as well. You think they're the same sunglasses? <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, so he's been, like, a nightmare for not only DC, but also Marvel. <laughs> yeah, well, every single DC, like, actor that they've gotten has also been a Marvel film at some point. What? Yeah, and, and vice versa. Like, you want to talk about, like, Ryan Reynolds or Ben Affleck or, I mean, you can really take your pick at this point. Uh, the, char- the Daredevil guy. Charlie Cox? Yeah, he was in Stardust, which was another Neil Gaiman thing, but he was also in Marvel's Daredevil. I don't even know if Stardust is part of the DC universe, but I'm just going to connect the two because of Neil Gaiman. Okay. Anyways, so back to the series. We have uh, Dream or Morpheus or whatever you want to call him, the, the Dream King, uh, stuck in this giant glass globe because that's what the Corinthian tells uh, Charles Dance's character to do. He's like, this, yeah. you got to keep him trapped, bro. Otherwise. <laughs> Otherwise, he's getting out. Even if someone falls asleep around him, he's getting out. And Charles Dance took, takes it to heart. You know, mm-hmm. Roderick is no stupid person. However, he does just start to mistreat Alex's other kid so much so where it becomes almost like has he been corrupted by channeling this demonic force and also like was this going to be him anyways was he just going to become such a grouch that he would hate the kid because he then sends alex on the assignment of killing the uh of dreams familiar whose name is jessamine yeah the crow yeah the crow and the crow at first i was like oh it's annoying it's just like flying around and screeching but then it does this one scene it's, yeah, yeah, you're talking about the scene where he tries to, like, get uh, Dream out of the Well, it's, like, years later. It's, like, ten years after, and the crow has escaped, and it's just kind of, like, watching what's going on. And he's, like, how am I going to break my uh, friend out of here? Out of here, yeah. Right? And then it finally has its own moment where it lights starts a match. Starts a fire. Yeah. Lights a match, starts a fire with a paper, brings all the guards upstairs, and then the crow comes downstairs. and Or it's not a crow, it's a raven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a white, white-chested raven, and it starts, like, knocking on the glass. And it's like just about to have its moment where it's going to break the and glass. And then it turns into nope. <laughs> it <laughs> because, turns into nope. Yeah, because that's when Alex out, out oh. nowhere, you can see it. The blood comes all over the glass globe. Yeah, Raven it explodes. is dead. Yeah. yeah, so once it explodes, though, like that moment, I think, was the most effective for me. Yeah, while watching it was surprising. It. It was like, even most surprising. more so than anything else in the episode, even the ending of the episode, I felt so bad for that animal because i could tell in its mind it thought it was doing the best thing it's like seeing a labrador retriever get disappointed or sad it was like it was it was in it my heart was in that moment and i was like that's the best part so far it increased my rating of the show i don't know about you that was i mean i like the moment as well but i don't think it was as effective to me i expected it to be like eagly where the where uh, jessime would be around the entire time so i thought it was basically unkillable Mm. But okay. then, yeah, so for killing it off so early, I thought it was very effective. And uh, and then it made me also feel like, well, now Alex, because he's the one who killed it, can't be redeemed in Dream's eyes. Yeah. And up until then, it had been like Dream had seen him as a kid and may have, because he's been refusing to speak for 10 years, will refuse to speak forever. We, we should also talk about what's going on in the real world. People are like either falling asleep forever. Sleepy or, sickness. Yeah, or they can't go to sleep. It's like all in the middle. It's a, it's like affecting millions of people. They're either like sleepwalking through the day yeah. or they're constantly sleeping, like you said, or everyone's awake, which yeah. is like keeping them 
traumatized <laughs> in their own nightmarish. But it didn't seem like Alex and his father were really that affected by it. Or maybe that would play well, that's into what why the he was said, Or that's what the Sandman says in his narration. He's like, yeah, the, to them, it wasn't really affecting them. But everyone else, it was. I guess. But the rest of the world, like we see the world 106 years later. And ironically, the comic book, which started in, as I said, the 80s, right? Yeah. It, the original comic had it that 75 years. Because that's oh, so they increased it, but they had to increase it to 106 years so that it would be 2021 when uh, Dream finally had the capability of escaping. Yep. And Alex is super old by this point, and his husband has brought him in. And uh, Paul, his husband, yeah, and yeah. and Dream is still refusing to give Randall his dead brother back, or even well, like, I don't think that's what he's asking for. I don't think he wants his brother back. Once, I think he just wanted the assurance that uh, Paul wouldn't be hurt, right? His, his husband, because just, what happens is is that Alex accidentally kills Magus earlier on. Well, that's that's the strange scene, right? So Magus has been kind of a dick to Alex ever since they've trapped Dream, right? right. And he realized he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And then Ethel, this uh, kind of strange lady who comes out of the woodwork, she gets pregnant with Roderick's child. And then she escapes with the bag of sand and the ruby. And that really upsets um, Magus to the point where he's having this argument with his kid and Alex pushes him into the glass and he hits his head and then suddenly he dies at it first seemed, yeah. it seemed like he shouldn't have died from that i went through a range of of thinking because at first when he hit his head i was like oh he's dead and then i was like well it's charles dance and also it seemed like it was light enough to the point where he might just be in like a coma or what do you mean might- it's charles dance charles dance is tywin lannister he dies like in the most yeah but how long ways. did they keep him to how long they kept him for seasons upon seasons and i thought that they wouldn't cast someone that big in that role just to have him killed off in the first episode and, and then I, I was mean, wrong they they were thinking about casting luke hemsworth as uh corinthian but he didn't make the cut huh so they so the boyd casting process, <laughs> yeah boyd holbrook beat him out on it and wow. then same with colin morgan they were thinking of having him play dream and then that would have you know what he then does tom sturridge like yeah sturridge sturridge tom sturridge beat him out for it so <laughs> i mean they had a, and then we didn't even see the first person who was cast in the show yet that's, really? Yeah, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is in this show? Yes, he's the third build in the show, and he's actually the voice of something. However, we haven't seen it yet, so we yeah. shouldn't talk about it too much. Um, I Yeah, so my three favorite part. oh, we should end it. So yeah. then Dream Escapes. Dream Escapes, yeah. And then 106 he, years later, he makes one of the security guards fall asleep after um, the wheelchair that Alex had been pushed in. I don't know if you got this. No. Scraped against that symbol, the chalk yes, symbol. Yeah, at the yeah. And then he, and then he looks it. at it. And, and it seems like Paul doesn't really care. Like, it seems like he noticed it, but was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Well, he was more just like, I guess this is the time. Or if he, it, like, Paul was an interesting character because he's just kind of a nice guy who wanted to let this demon loose, or the, because he considers it less of a demon and more right. of just like kind of something that have to, has to happen for society to work well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, he and we see that Dream has kind of WandaVision powers, which I guess we shouldn't be too surprised he by. He can create but, a reality. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, WandaVision. Yeah. And, and it, so he jumps back into Alex's mind and he then issues the sentence which i think is the name of the episode sleep of the just like it's it's like you are now going to have your justice for keeping me in that glass globe for so long i will now sentence you to being eternally in a nightmare yeah so at least he doesn't die <laughs> you know that's I guess, one way of living forever is just being in a coma where i'm not sure if i'd want to be in a nightmare obviously or, not <laughs> no 
Um, and then and then he comes back to his dream world. Dream goes back to his home, but sees that yeah. like beyond the gates, everything is we, just. We dead. see the dream world at the very beginning of the uh, the show. It's right? thriving. Yeah, it's very colorful. It's a huge castle. It looks like everything that you could ever like. There's singing birds and all that jazz. And then he comes back, and it's almost like all falling apart. Yep. And uh, yeah, and so it takes his um, his secretary Lucien. Lucien. Or, yeah. And she kind of tells him what's up and like how a lot of his people have left kind or of are gone and they yeah. doubt him. And it's kind of very um, religious in that way. Yeah. And, and then, then he's, he's like, like, I'm going to build it back up. And then the gates close. Uh-huh. And then we also see the Corinthian being like, he's out. I got to like step up my game. Yeah. And he like sticks on his glasses and he goes out the door. What was your favorite scene? My favorite scene? Mine. Yeah. I would probably go with. I would actually, you know, it would probably be probably be the last scene with the Corinthian because I finally understood what he was going for. The scene where he puts on his glasses and we see that he's like bludgeoned out or taking the eyes of that one woman mm-hmm. because I understood like what his character was actually doing. Before I liked his character, but I didn't know what the purpose of him was. You didn't know that he was like the villain villain? Yeah, I didn't. Even though the, at the very beginning, Dream sort of states in his narration voice, even though we don't hear him speak to Alex at all, he is still talking throughout the thing, being like, maybe I should forgive him now, and maybe I should make this deal with him. But like, I he, wasn't I wasn't sure, but like by the very ending, I was like, okay, that's obviously going to be his roles for however long. I also like how the show, it seemed like I thought that it was a book at first. So I was like, did this go through the whole entire book or the first book in the first episode? But now that you're saying it's a comic book, makes more sense it was probably just the first issue because the pacing there was really no problem with the pacing i I agree with you also because like a lot of the main characters this this is a huge cast Mm -hmm. and we barely saw anyone and so it did a really good job of almost not spoiling for you everything else about the series yeah right like if i told you that uh pat noswell and olivia coleman and sorry not olivia coleman what's the name of the doctor who companion with matt smith the one who was like exterminate that one olivia oh it isn't olivia right i don't know her name but she was also in the serpent yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. so she's going to be a big deal in it and then there's like yeah it's got a huge wikipedia page of cast members and we haven't seen any of them uh, but my three favorite scenes in this episode, also Boyd Holbrook's uh, moment when he was the Corinthian and he was explaining like, oh, you trapped one of my friends. Really so I guess scene, yeah. you're not going to see me again unless it's something you terrible. Should hope not. Like, you yeah. should hope not. I really like that. It was really effective. The Jessamy scene was probably my favorite. And then the Ichabod crane. Is it something about seeing like a jack-o'-lantern in this type of show <laughs> where everything seems kind of realistic? It makes me laugh. Um, so those are my top three favorite things. It does remind me a little bit of Lucifer, which isn't super surprising because Lucifer is actually a spinoff to the original Sandman yeah. comic books. And uh, they even thought about bringing back Tom Ellis from the Lucifer series. But then even Gaiman said that would be kind of hard to um, mix his uh, the role that he kind of depicted there yeah. with this world's role of him. And so they went a different direction. Gaiman, ironically, also did play in the Lucifer series. He played the voice of God. I know that. Yeah, I, I need to do some Wikipedia research on him just to see, like, what things I have, like, read from Neil Gaiman. I think he also did, like, the rewrite for at least English of Princess Mononoke. I oh. never saw okay. the actual, like, English dub of that, but I did see the film for Wow. So, yeah. He likes to mix a lot of themes. So, like, when it comes to, you were just talking about anime, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, like, I haven't seen that yet. But, oh, oh, actually, when he busts out of the glass globe, mm-hmm. it is sort of like anime. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And also his hairstyle. Um, he has a, here's the thing about Neil Gaiman. He has an authorship to him. Like you, he, there is definitely something very unique about his TV shows. And had I not known that this was made by him or had it not been made by him, I would have been like, this is a Neil Gaiman ripoff. Now what, <laughs> great. What if Wes Anderson and Neil Gaiman teamed up to make something? <laughs> that would be the oddest combination. That or Michael Bay. Michael Bay and Neil Gaiman just imagine all the explosions <laughs> added to like just random. Parts I like of the I line. like the Wes Anderson comparison because you would just see like all of this quirk, and then you would see like these random sci-fi moments as well. Edward Norton just popping up as like a camp counselor. Or I'm something. thinking I'm thinking more of the montage where like they go through the supplies of everything, and they always show what the supplies are uh-huh. through the camera frame, and then yeah. they just like start like pulling out wands and everything else. And Wes Anderson also does the sort of uh, theme melding where he'll mix comedy uh i like i really like it when they do make gods fallible they did that all the time in the americans and they made them like very person their personalities were always affected by something that they could be better at yeah. they always just dismissed humanity as being like this lesser and that's kind of what dream is doing and from what i understand in this series he's going to kind of turn into a different type of person as he learns from his experience not of being in the cell for so long but afterwards what it's done to the rest of the world and how he's going to adjust to it you said the americans i think you mean american gods what you said the americans that the gods oh, were always made fallible and the yes, americans. american gods that's the name <laughs> of the show there's a lot of shows that have someone no but i agree with you on that point because it's like a you always see like in any type of tv show or movies like there's always like some type of op thing like op gods op character and they're always like a little over like ego maniacs or narcissists or whatever and dream is it is a nicer god mm-hmm. i guess like we can see that he has some humanity but he also does have some like he's not forgiving yeah yeah, no, he, yeah. He's not a forgiving <laughs> well, when character. You, when you but keep someone still, in a he's cage. He's still a protagonist. Yeah, I know. And I, he's probably going to be the main character. That was actually my next question. Are the episodes going to be about Dream or are the next episodes going to focus on the other people that we learned about, like Desire, Destiny, Despair? As the Sandman, I think it's mostly going to be about That's Dream. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he'll have to get his totems back. I imagine he'll have to find a new familiar now that Jessime has died. Um, really, just... It hit me stronger than, like, when the Ant-Man ant died. Remember how, like, we had <laughs> for so long seen the ant with him? And then that one just, like... Because yeah. this one was so special to him. It was, like, it was with him when he was when he was pulled. No, it, I mean, yeah. It was it, under his cloak. So that means, like, it was such a part of him that it was summoned with him. Do it's you the realize first how strong that would yeah, be? Yeah, it's the first okay. thing. Also, what do you think of his look when he first, like that weird World War Two or World War One gas mask yeah. with a weird skeleton bone coming out of it? I was then, confused by it, but I guess it makes sense when you're like having sand and you're going to make people sleep. But does that mean that he's affected by no, his own no, sand? No, 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 like, I don't well, think so. But why is he wearing, like he's invisible. I think that's just kind of to scare people, you know? It's like an intimidation But factor. he's invisible to like real people, right? Also, I think it plays into the comics i think before the sandman that neil gaiman made there was a different sandman but then dc was like screw that one we just want to do yours well there's also a sandman in marvel <laughs> oh interesting but it had like the kind of more look that we see at the beginning there before he takes off the mask but i didn't see him running to get the mask back and it didn't seem like ethel stole it didn't seem the like mask. he cared that much also yeah. ethel was pregnant with roderick's kid who roderick wanted him to get rid of now roderick's kid is probably going to have some role even though he would probably be super old at this point too. i do have some cons that i kind so of do I, like but yeah go ahead yeah so 
starting off, I was getting a somewhat from the TV series type of feel from it, where it's like, I can tell that they're trying to put a lot into it, and I'm interested in it, but I don't know if it's actually going to pay off in the end. Uh, because like Overkill? You think that they... What were, what were the moments I'm, where you were like, this is well, just... It's more necessary. It's more where the uh, where the series is heading, like where the story is heading, because like you're talking about, there's so many characters that will be introduced, and um, and now we have Dream, and he's going to try and rebuild this world, and I don't know how long that's going to take or what they're going to exactly do to kind of keep the intensity rising as as it was in this first episode. Also, I just don't want them to really lose their place. I know that you were just talking about American Gods, and I think that you are kind of in the majority that think that that show kind of lost its way as well so although the show hasn't done anything yet to make me really not want to watch it i am like a little scared as to kind of the murky territory that they're going into but i think they've simplified things way more than the american gods show was ever simplified but that show started off complicated and it just evolved into i think too many separate plots that went in different that just caused the show to not know what it was going to become hey you remember how like in wanda wandavision in um in the doctor strange thing where like you stretch the stretchy guy too far, what happens? That's what happened with American Gods. Okay. <laughs> I mean, ahead. yeah, but I, I guess I think that what it's expanding into, it's like, I don't, that's the reason why I will not want, I need to wait to see how this show does kind of like review wise and, and critical wise and what the audience You're says. You're not willing to give it a rating? I am giving, I will give it a rating seven and a half out of 10. I would give it a seven out of 10. Um, I, I'm not going to rush to see the rest of the series. Uh, and it does have to do with some of the same uh, problems that I've seen in what you're talking about. For instance, I was a little peeved that Charles Dance's character, Roderick, didn't wasn't more supportive when Alex killed the Raven. I felt like that was an opportunity for them to have some form. And it seemed like it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Because the Raven, uh, Jessamay, she was an unknown factor. She could have broken him out at any time. And like dealing with that, who cares if he could have broken the glass? He clearly didn't. That was a real win. And they knew that the Raven also existed because Jessamay like books it out of there the second that dream is caught. And scratches Roderick a lot. Also, I feel like they sort of glossed over, even though they mentioned the sleeping sickness that we brought up, the non-dreaming, sleepwalking, non-waking people, right? Because those ramifications of having that in your world feels like after a hundred years, you would see it everywhere. Yeah. But we didn't see any of it. We only saw like a cut shot of several people sleeping. They said millions of people and I was like, why why not just make it billions? Like yeah. at this point. Yeah. I mean more. I would have been just ha- satisfied if they'd shown us like how the architecture just wasn't as insane as it's become now. Yeah. Like but it looked like uh the Corinthian was in a huge tower place so it doesn't seem like it had affected too much when it came to us building things. Um, and then it was also, as I said, a weird way for Magus to die. Um, and then the, the biggest thing, though, is that, like, he wanted Randall. He realizes, his son, he realizes that this works, this summoning works. Yeah. Why doesn't he continue to do it? He could have just made another circle. He had the money. He could have just pulled that book out and done another seance pulled another one in and just kept doing it until he, A, he either got what he wanted for one of them or he actually did pull in death and then he was able to make a deal with them. Not everyone was going to be as stubborn as Dream and it feels like now that he knows how to keep Dream in there, he would probably do the same thing for the other ones too. Right. So I didn't understand with that power, it's not like the Necronomicon thing got destroyed at the end of it. That was my biggest controversial like misunderstanding of what the show was trying to tell me 
And but other than that, like I am mostly curious because I feel like I've watched a trailer to something, but I haven't actually gotten into the meat of what the show yeah. is quite yet. And so that's why I say it's still a pro. It's still, I would give it a seven out of 10. I would say everybody should check it out and see if it's their flavor. I've never really jumped into a Neil Gaiman book and just like let it embrace me. I've, I've kind of always seen them on Audible and been like, maybe next month or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but maybe that'll change. Yeah. That's, that's my ending. Yeah. What, what that, like I said, seven and a half out of 10, like the world that they're building, just don't know if it's going to pay off in the end. And I agree with the cons that you had as well, you, especially like this being kind of like a trailer. And I'm wondering where it's going to go. Did you think that the way the security guard fell asleep, like you think they went a little lax on, on the whole, like, I understand that Roderick wouldn't have allowed that. Yeah. He yeah. would have been like, you guys have to be taking speed the whole time to stay awake. But like by the time that that guy was there, he was just like, I'm nodding off. And the other one wasn't even paying attention. Like things had kind of devolved as far as how they were hiring people. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye. Bye.